you are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. Today on the show, we are joined by Abigail Harrison, also known as Astronaut Abby. Abby is aiming to be a part of the first ever space mission to Mars, as well as being a TEDx speaker, founder of the non-profit Mars Generation, a Forbes-listed 30 under 30, and is also working towards a PhD in astrobiology. In this hugely inspiring conversation, we discuss International Women's Day, Abby's journey to becoming one of the first people to Mars, pretty cool, (laughs) the importance of role models, goal setting, failure, burnout, almost dying in a plane crash, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with the phenomenal Abigail Harrison. Hi, thanks so much for having me on today. As you will be well aware, um, we followed you on Instagram for quite a while now, and I wanted to start off this conversation in a different way. I believe it was three days ago, it was International Women's Day. You were the first woman that we have interviewed since then. Uh, So let's start there. So you are an amazing woman yourself. You're hugely impressive. What do you think of the day in general in terms of, you know, the people that have inspired you? And yeah, where do you see the current landscape of, you know, of you standing amongst those other incredible women? Well, I think that international, first off, thank you. That was some very kind things that you just said. (laughs) Uh, But I think that International Women's Day as a whole is a fantastic and important thing, especially as we start to make real strides towards gender equity not just in the United States, but across the entire world, you can see countries that are really making efforts to start to have not only equality, but equity, um, and to make sure that that people have the same opportunities, regardless of the gender that they are. Um, I personally had a fantastic International Women's Day, uh, because I got to send my I got to send my day at the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington, with um, two incredible role models of mine. One of them was past astronaut Dottie Metcalf-Lindenberger, who I met when I was, oh, maybe 13 or 14 years old, and have gotten to know across the years since then. And she then When I founded my nonprofit at 18, she joins the advisory board for that. So she's just always been this huge role model and inspiration for me, showing me what it is that 
women can do um, if, if we put ourselves out there and if we try. And the second woman that I got to spend the day with was astronaut um, Jessica Muir, who's actually in space right now. And so I got to talk to her on what's called a downlink, where they do a video conference with someone on the International Space Station. So I got to talk to her and see um, a ton of other young young people in the audience talk to her as well for um, for a little while that day. And so it was just really this incredible opportunity to see uh, a woman who was in the past an astronaut, a woman who's currently an astronaut, and then for me to be there hoping to be the future of women in aerospace and um, the space industry was, I thought, uh, a really strong and powerful and impactful way to spend Women's Day. And for example, I know on your Twitter you passed your pilot's license, and I think that the statistic you put on there was maybe there was only 5 to 7% of those people which had a license which were women. I hope I'm right in saying that. Absolutely. So, yes, you did get that statistic correct. Um, and the reason I say 5 to 7% is because in the United States, only 5% of women are pilots. But around the country, the statistic is 7%. Um, so it's regardless of which of those two numbers you're looking at, it's an absurdly low number of pilots out there who are women. And, and these aren't just airline pilots or, or military pilots or commercial pilots or anything like that that I'm talking about. These are anyone with a pilot's license. So it's wild to me when I learned how few women there are in the aviation industry. And then when I also experienced it firsthand, um, just never seeing women in the airport that I flew out of, never hearing their voices over the radio, all of those types of things. It's a very uh, disparate field. But the question you were asking, if uh, I'm not mistaken before I got sidetracked by that, is that, yes, role models are absolutely essential, in my opinion, to girls and, and young women and women aspiring and reaching their goals or dreams. Um, like you said, women face a much higher rate of imposter syndrome, a much they have a much more difficult time believing that they're qualified for the same positions or same things that men uh, believe that they're qualified for. And it helps a lot when you can look up to someone who's already done it, who's like you, who's faced the same difficulties or hurdles in life and has overcome those to achieve the same things or similar things that you want to achieve. I think that that's really powerful. It's by yeah. no means the only way to go about accomplishing things. Obviously, there would be no firsts of anything if someone had to have done it before you for you to do it, but it is hugely impactful and helpful to have role models that you can look at and then on a different note, mentors who can actually actively help guide you um, towards whatever it is that you're hoping to accomplish in the future. Those are both massively important for for everyone but especially for women there's one particular story which came to my mind i heard you say on another podcast your mother made sure that you prioritized learning maths that that was something which would be of huge relevance to you so i wonder just in terms of your development 
and obviously since we're on this topic of International Women's Day and you know role models and mentors I wonder are there any other sh- uh, stories which you could share about your mother in terms of how she's helped you <laughs> oh gosh so many stories um so you're absolutely right it's that's uh funny to me that you picked that out of another podcast because that really was a formative thing growing up that my my mom so my mom is a single mom uh, it's me and I have a sister who's two years older than me. And two of the, I guess you could call them rules or guidelines in our house when we were growing up was that you had to be in a sport, a team sport of some sort every year. And you weren't allowed to stop learning math and sciences. So she said, no matter what it is that you want to do in the future, whether this year or today or tomorrow or next month, you think that you want to, you know, be a, a hairstylist or uh, an underwater basket weaver, whatever it is that you want to do, you still have to do those two things until you leave my house. And <laughs> the reason for those was that team sports, she thought, were really important because they teach people how to interact together, how to support one another, all of those important life skills of how to be good members of society. I think that that's also true. And that's something that I'm thankful that I had a grounding in and a basis in as a child that hopefully I've carried over into as an adult, because that's one of the most important things for astronauts is how do you interact with your fellow crewmates? How do you work together, not just as an individual, but as a team? Um, And then the second one was you don't get to stop learning maths and sciences. So not only do you still have to go to, her perspective on that was that not only do you still have to go to school, obviously you still have to go to school, but you have to be actively engaged in in those fields because no matter what area you end up in as an adult, math especially, but math and science will play some role. And she always thought that we, my sister and I would be better off if we had solid foundations and bases in those two subjects, that that would open the doors for us to go do anything that we wanted to do in any other field. And now that I'm an adult and I have graduated from college and all of that, I'm on my way towards doing real adult things. I can't agree more <laughs> with, um, with that life perspective as well. And I'm super thankful. Um, but for uh, another way that my my mom impacted my my journey and my future, um, she's been there every every step of the way. She was the first person who believed me when I started talking about this crazy, massive, out of this world um, dream that I have to become an astronaut. It took a couple years for me to convince her because when I was five years old and I was saying that I wanted to be an astronaut. That's a little bit easier to ignore or to um, attribute to childhood fancy than when you're 10 years old and you've been saying it for five or six years so far. But when she finally did hear me and when that finally broke through through to her that I was serious about this goal, she jumped on board immediately and has been my biggest supporter, um, my, my best advisor ever since then so far as to even found my nonprofit with me when I was 18. So my mom and I co-founded the Mars Generation, which is the nonprofit that we run 
to inspire and excite and empower the next generation um, to to take an interest in in science and in STEM and in space and to understand how important space exploration is to their futures. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get the Mars generation off the ground without her uh, and probably a lot of the other things that I did as a, a teenager, I, I wouldn't have been able to do without having her in my corner. I'm sure I can completely relate to what your mother was going through when, when you said, you know, at five years old, I want to be an astronaut. I'm pretty sure most of my friends, probably me included, said, yeah, you know, I, I want to be an astronaut. And and our parents are just like, at that age, yeah, perfect, you know, that that's fine. And then, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things that it's, it's just like, I, I'm sure just like every kid says it at some point. And then I, d- I don't know any, I don't know a single person that I've actually physically met that have actually ever gone any further with it. You know, it's like you get to like uh, 10 or 11 and they're like, yeah, you know, just, just go on, just go and go and become a, 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 a nurse or a lawyer. And I think your mother even said, I was like, I'll go and become a doctor or something like this. Was that before? like what you got to like 10 11 yeah that was definitely that was um before she signed on to my dream basically (laughs) she had a similar reaction to what you did she thought it was just kids being kids saying i want to be an astronaut the same way that kids say i want to be a princess or i want to be a superhero or something like that (laughs) um and she actually when i was uh probably nine or ten she went and bought me some books about anatomy and the human body and things like that, because I was also very interested. Funny you should mention medicine. I was very interested in medicine as well. And she thought, well, maybe I can persuade her to have a more realistic dream. Mm. So she tried to, to even push me a little bit more towards like maybe become a doctor. And when that didn't stick and I kept saying, no, I want to be an astronaut. She, um, that was pretty much when she, she realized that this wasn't uh, wasn't going away, and it wasn't a momentary thing, and that maybe maybe I was the one out of a million who would stick with that dream until the end. When I was prepping for this, I, I imagined, you know, what would my mother say if I was say fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and I called her up and I was like, "Ma'am, I, I want to go and become an astronaut." I'm sure she'd be, you know, like, go and get what a job, you, you hippie. <laughs> go and get a job, <laughs> you hippie. Or something along those lines, you know. So I think that really does highlight the magnitude of your dream. You know, like, this is this is not, you know, a, a normal dream. The thing which I find amazing is that in comparison to the people in my circle, and, and I'm fortunate to be around, you know, a lot of hype performers we spoke to, to you know, hugely top performers on this podcast. But I, I look at your dream and I think, wow, you know, I need to dream bigger. You know, I need to think bigger, <laughs> you know. So how, how do you view that dream right now? Where, where are you currently at with it? I know you've got, obviously got this massive project. You want to be the first person to go to Mars. So talk to me about that, right? where it's at right now. Yeah, so um, when you have a dream, like becoming an astronaut or even even more than that being hopefully someday the first person to walk on mars what i've learned is that it's really really important to look at that dream as a uh, this is going to sound super cliche but it's truly the best way i've found to describe it to look at the dream as a marathon not a sprint 
because it's a dream that's from the time that I started dreaming it was easily 20 or 30 years out away. I wouldn't accomplish it for another 20 or 30 years. Now I've been on the road for about 10 years. I still have maybe 10 to 20 years before I would accomplish that dream. Um, and so to take incremental steps along the way to keep focused on it and to keep motivated towards it and to, to stay um, committed and to not feel downtrodden at any point by how, how long it's taking or how, how far away it seems to be to accomplish that dream is really important and something that uh, a mindset that I have to frequently remind myself of. Um, so that said, the, the current trajectory for me, I'm 22 years old right now. I just graduated from college with my undergrad. Um, I'm, thank you. Uh, yeah, that was exciting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have a couple other things under my belt that are pieces of my resume for when I do apply to become an astronaut, such as that I've studied Mandarin, Chinese, and Russian. Um, I'm a pilot. I'm an advanced scuba diver, um, a skydiver, all of those types of things. I'm a public speaker, uh, you know, that those sorts of things that are, they won't make you an astronaut, but they definitely build towards a resume to be selected as one. Um, but I still have a couple more pretty large things that I have to do before I would I would apply to be an astronaut. And one of those, the, the, the major one, is going to grad school. So I have to go get a advanced degree in uh, the way that they say it on the applications to be an astronaut is um, an advanced degree in a related field. So basically something that pertains to space and the work that's done in space in some way. For me, the fields that I'm looking at are um, geoplanetary sciences Mm. uh, or marine biology, which surprisingly does relate quite strongly to the search for extraterrestrial life which is what my undergraduate research was in. During my undergraduate, I did research at the Kennedy Space Center Space Life Sciences Labs um, as an astrobiologist. And that's how I started to realize how similar Earth's oceans can be in the life that we can find there, the extreme life that we can find there, to what we might potentially someday find in extreme situations in space. Um, So that's a big that's a big hurdle that I've yet to take on is to go do graduate school. Um, Before I do that, I'm taking a gap year uh, during which I'm continuing to do a lot of things like um, getting another type of pilot's license. So adding something called an instrument rating to my pilot's license, Um, doing more scuba diving, more skydiving, traveling. I'm doing a backpacking trip across Russia um, to backpack the Trans-Siberian Railway and practice my language skills. Um, and then, most importantly, spending this year off from school, really growing and evolving my nonprofit, The Mars Generation, to try and make sure that it's doing the things that I want it to be doing, that it's strong, that it's um, making the greatest impact that it can, and that it's ready for me to be a little bit more hands-off once I do go into graduate school. So as far as that all looks, I'd say I probably have another six or seven years until I start applying to the astronaut corps. Um, 
which is actually starting to get quite close. When you have to, when you think about the fact that I've been dreaming of applying ever since I was maybe four or five years old, to think that I'm only, you know, six years away from applying, to me that seems like it's tomorrow. Mm. It's exciting. <laughs> I hope you don't take offense to this, but what I find just incredibly amazing is that when I look at my current trajectory we set loads of big goals for this podcast things like becoming a top 50 podcast getting a million plus downloads working remotely working with clients but these were all things which were they took work but they're not not impossible they they were very possible but i look at your journey and you've you've literally i mean from practically the time you came out of your womb this was something which you've been working towards and i just look at it and still the chances of you failing, a, as you said, it's a one in a million dream. This is what I find the most inspiring about it. How do you balance the incredible work ethic and persistence with also that chance that it just may not work? Like, how, how do you do that? That's a great question because it's... Um such an important thing to be aware of and I've definitely seen people who have big dreams who haven't quite recognized that balance yet Um, and there there were times in my life where I hadn't figured out the balance quite perfectly either Um, and I've had to learn through trial and error basically how to balance both my the way I spend my time in life and my expectations. So to have a big dream, to pour everything that you possibly can and have into it, um, your time, your effort, your, your heart and soul, all your hopes and beliefs pouring into this dream. But like you said, with the chance that it might not happen and actually a pretty good chance that it might not happen. And then you add on the extra layer that I chose at an early age to talk very publicly about my dream, which I chose to do because I think that it's a way for me to make a difference in the world is to um, share my big aspirations and the journey that I'm on towards achieving this big dream with people around me to hopefully inspire them, to excite them, to follow their own dreams and passions, and also to take an interest in space to be a role model for girls. There are all these reasons that I chose to be really public about my dream. But the truth is, is that it adds on one more layer of stress to that question of what if you don't make it? Because if I don't make it now, it's not only a personal failure. It's also something that everyone else gets Mm. to see. Um, And that's something that I've had to do a lot of self-reflection about. I've had to do a lot of thinking about what's what's really most important to me um, and what's most important to me is that I have tried. So I want to make sure that if I end up at a point where for some reason I am not able to become an astronaut or don't become the first person to walk on Mars, I can look back at my life and reflect and say that I truly did everything possible on my end to have made that a reality and that the circumstances in life just weren't working out or that things w- didn't match up at the time and place. Um, so knowing that I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can is important to my mindset of keeping that failure in mind. 
um, recognizing that I'm doing good things, even if I don't end up accomplishing the stream. So I'm making an, a really positive impact on the world. Um, I've had the opportunity to found a nonprofit to speak to classrooms around the around the world. Um, to do all kinds of things that I think have have been positively impactful. And finally, the, the third thing I look at is that with a dream like becoming an astronaut, you're pretty lucky because you end up having a plan B essentially built in to your plan A. So your plan A is to become an astronaut. But before you can become an astronaut, before you can even apply to be an astronaut, you have to have had a career. You have to have had a career in a related field. So in science or engineering or mathematics, or even for some people teaching. And so if, if it comes to it and I end up not getting accepted um, at any point throughout my life into the astronaut corps, the great thing is, is that I already have, a, I'll, I will have already had a career. Um, and so that's why it's really important to me. And this is something that I tell students all the time when I, when I talk to them, especially the ones who are also interested in being astronauts, is to focus not so much on what you think will get you to the end goal, so not to focus on what you think will make you become an astronaut, but to focus on what it is that you're really passionate about doing and that you love doing now. Because it might end up that that's what you do for the rest of your life and that you never become an astronaut. Just as true for me as it is for someone else. Um, the odds are incredibly small. There are so many things that can stop someone from becoming an astronaut, uh, physical health-wise, numbers-wise, just really many, many things. And so I try to make sure that I'm keeping that in mind, that I'm happy with the career choices and education choices that I've made, regardless of whether or not they lead to being an astronaut, but at the same time trying to balance them to make sure that they are beneficial towards the goals I want to have in the future. Um, so it's a balancing act and it's definitely something that's been a, um, a shift in mindset that I don't want to act like I'm all that mature or all that grown up because I'm still 22, but I definitely have a different mindset around that than I did when I was, let's say 15 or 16. When I was 15 or 16, I had this idea that I had to be all in and that I had to be you know, going 130% all the time and that it was almost a rush to get there, that I couldn't take any time off. Um, I was in college when I was 16. I'd rushed through a whole lot of stuff to try and become an astronaut basically as fast as I could. And now I've reached a point in my life where I'm looking at it from a more holistic sense, I guess you could say, and doing things like taking this gap year to make sure that I have not only the best chance to become an astronaut, but also the um, most well-rounded and fulfilling life, regardless of whether or not I become an astronaut. I think that your answer about having a huge goal and giving everything, whether you achieve it or not, you can look back and say, look, I give, I give this, you know, I give this my best. I understand that the the average person listening to this may not have a million followers, which <laughs> they've talked their they goal to. But honestly, that was that was incredible. I actually felt I actually felt the hair stand up on my arm when you said that, and and I oh, couldn't thanks. and I couldn't agree anymore because when I think about my own life and the people we've spoke to on this show, 
it seems to me as if as humans i think we're just wired to set these huge goals and if we're not chasing after things if we're not making progress then at least for me in my own life that's when i've been at my unhappiest even if i haven't achieved it just having that end goal it gives you a sense of purpose to work up to to work towards i know that you've done a lot of work in terms of with younger generations uh i listened to your ted talk i thought it was really good on i I know you talk a lot about goal setting on there where do you Mm -hmm. stand on on goal setting in terms of do you advise sort of the abbey approach in terms of setting this out of this world goal (laughs) (laughs) do you advise that approach or do you take a a different approach or how do you sort of talk to the upcoming generation uh, so I'm glad you asked that, but first I wanted to just reply to your, your comment about how setting huge goals personally is part of, is something that we as humans are almost hardwired to do because that struck a note with me when you said that, because I, that is one of my most fundamental beliefs about what makes us human is our innate desire and need to explore and to push the boundaries, to ask ourselves, what is it that we can do? What can we learn? What can we explore? How can we be better? Whether that's personally or as groups or, you know, as the entire country or entire world, I think that that's something that ties us all together and that we all feel. Um, So when you said that, that really resonated with me in a I just wanted to recognize how profound um, of a statement that was that you made. Oh, thank you. But uh, as as per goals, um, before I went off on that tangent, I believe you were asking, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I? Um, correct me if I'm if I'm misquoting this. You were asking, do I recommend to younger generations to set? Um, Abbey level goals. The Abbey level goals. Well. <laughs> I love that framework. The Abbey level goals. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I am. I am a big proponent of setting goals. I think that no matter what it is that you're trying to achieve in your life, no matter how large or small that seems to you or to anyone else, and let's just be honest, it doesn't matter how large or small it seems to anyone else. If your goal or or dream or hope feels big to you then it is big um and so but no matter how big or small your aspiration is setting goals is the way to get there and uh i would definitely say that's one of the best pieces of advice that i could give to young people is to set goals often and then to get rid of goals often as well because you can make a plan, you can, you can set out all your goals and all the steps that you have to achieve your dreams, and you can start working towards them and working down that path. And if you aren't able to be fluid with those goals, then it's almost worse to have them than to have not had them. Um, life is constantly changing. It's, it's a chaotic experience that we're all in. And, uh, Goal setting is a powerful tool, but only if you're able to use it correctly in terms of that chaos of life. 
And so, for instance, when I when I was 11, <laughs> I set out my first big life plan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and, yeah, right. As one does. <laughs> and this was actually <laughs> in response to um, this was going back to my mom when my mom finally realized how serious I was about becoming an astronaut and going to Mars, she she looked at me and she said something along the lines of, well, then how are you going to make that happen? What's, what's your plan? Um, and I went away from that conversation and I, uh, I ended up actually coming back to her the next day with two pieces of paper that I'd printed out uh with two different plans laid out for like what the next 30 years of my life would look <laughs> in two different ways one of this. them yeah <laughs> imagine <laughs> a little 11 year old me with like a, a chin bob and everything and <laughs> um with one of them being if i were to go down the military route of becoming a military pilot and the other one if i were to go down the civilian route of becoming a scientist and all the different steps that i thought i would have to take and you know where I wanted to go to college in each of those instances and what I would major in and um, different things that I thought would add to my resume to become an astronaut and all of this, like these goals laid out. And that was really impactful for a couple of reasons. One of them is that that was the moment when my mom truly, the way she tells it, she says that's when she got on my side. That's when she became my biggest supporter and, and signed on basically to to be my ground support for my mission to Mars. Um, but the other reason it was super impactful was because having laid out those concrete steps of what it truly would look like, what the hard steps would be along the road made it real made it much more realistic for an 11 year old for me at 11 to look at something so far in the future and be able to say yes I can actually accomplish that because those steps one at a time didn't look so hard didn't look so difficult to you know graduate from middle school and then graduate from high school and to um, have experience in robotics or uh, to learn a new language, those types of things. Like as you looked at each of the individual steps, they were much easier than just looking at the end product of becoming an astronaut. Um, so it was important to have laid out that those life plans with goals. But that said, almost none of the things that I ended up writing down actually ended up being the goals and steps that I used to get to where I am or where I'll go in the future. Because over time, they changed. The types of colleges that I was interested in going to changed. The things that I was interested in studying changed. My understanding of what it would actually take to become an astronaut changed. Um, all of these things, whether it was because I'd learned something new or because I didn't have the same resources that I'd been hoping for or whatever else pushed me in a different direction in life, I had to be able to change the goals that I'd laid out. Um, rather than follow strictly along. So I think that setting huge goals is really important, but being cautiously optimistic about those goals is also important. So being able and willing to change them, um, not getting too connected to, to any one goal, because the truth is, is that goals are really just um, 
tools that we use to reach something higher up than themselves. And so if we want to reach our final, our dream, our aspiration, our, our biggest final goal, then you have to be willing to um, be flexible with the smaller goals that you make along the way. Do you still have those two pieces of paper? I don't. Oh. I still I know. (laughs) One of those things that I didn't realize at the time, and my mom didn't realize at the time, how um, how important those would be. (laughs) I was thinking they're going to be a collector's item one day if they were still there. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't have those. I also don't have any pictures of me as a little kid, like looking through telescopes or looking up at the night sky, because no one realized that those would be important someday. (laughs) But the thing is, I think you've still got like, obviously you said maybe like six to seven years. So maybe you're just going to have to just go and like snap some unsolicited pictures and just just pretend. (laughs) Yeah. no. (laughs) Um, Actually what I do is uh, I have a, so you said you watched my Ted talk. Yes. uh, Which, wow. I can't believe that that's still out there. That was, Six or seven years ago yeah, that like I gave 16 that. Sixteen at the time, yeah. Wow, that was yeah, amazing. Just sixteen. <laughs> um, but in that, you might remember there's a picture of a probably like a seven year old looking little blonde girl looking up at the big Milky Way sky above her. Um, yeah, that's not actually me. That's... <laughs> <laughs> wow, we've got an exclusive. <laughs> yeah, this is this is some real content here. <laughs> oh wow, that's my cousin who. <laughs> When I was giving that TED Talk, I realized that I wanted to have a picture showing that stage of my life. And I asked my mom, I said, you know, do you have any pictures of me? I was always outside staring up at the night sky. I was super interested in space and stars and stargazing. And she's like, nope, I do not have any pictures of you because no one thought that it would be important. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so we called up my, my aunt and said, like, hey, can you take Zoe outside and <laughs> get a picture of her? And we'll just pretend that that's Abby. <laughs> oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, behind the scenes there for you. <laughs> oh, my word. Wow. It's like someone's come on the podcast and told me the earth's flat. Wow. <laughs> my, my world has been shattered. <laughs> so... Just, just, I know, just bringing the conversation back. <laughs> um, so when I talk to you and when I look at your story, Abby, what I find amazing is that it's, it's clear that you definitely have figured out the science of achievement, right? It's, you've clearly figured out how to go from point A to point B. You know, there's no denying that just at such a young age you've accomplished so, so, so many things. But just when I was speaking to you, what I would love to know is, I was, I was hearing this amazing story and I was thinking, have you ever gone through any big or major failures? Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. and <laughs> Another exclusive. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Uh, failure is one of my favorite things to talk about. Oh, wow. It, it might sound uh, counterintuitive because, like you said, I'm working or like you said, I've accomplished a lot of things. I've been successful in a lot of things and I'm aspiring towards a lot of really big things. Um, But that said, I love to talk about failure in general and also my specific failures that I've had um, because I think that failure is the most important step to success 
um, that's one of the things that I've learned the hard way over the last decade or so of, of chasing after my dream um, is that in many, many instances, you, you can't succeed, at least not to your fullest ability, without failing first at something. And that failure doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be this bogeyman in the closet. Um, it's not the monster hiding under our bed waiting to, you know, drag us down and then hold us down forever. It's, it's often a good thing to fail at something because it teaches us what we need to do, what we need to learn, how we can improve so that we can actually be successful to our fullest ability and extent in the future. If you don't have those failures, you're going to end up reaching a point that you think is success, but is actually mediocrity. Mm. Um, and I think that we have an issue in society that we don't talk about failure often enough. We don't normalize it. We don't let people talk about their messy middles, the, the failures that they took along the way to reach success. We look at them and we see point A and we see point B. We see where they started and, and where they ended as successful people. And we don't ever talk about or see the difficulties that they had along the way, the failures that they had, the the roadblocks that they ran into and that makes people and especially young people think that when they fail that it's unusual or that they're alone or that that truly is the end point for them and their aspirations when it's completely the opposite of that everyone fails failure is good it's normal it's important um and if we talked about it more i think that people and especially young people would have uh, a better understanding and, and a healthier understanding of failure when they're experiencing it. So thank you for asking that question. And now to get to the good stuff, <laughs> my failures. <laughs> um, let's see. I've got two favorite ones that I like to talk about. Okay. Um, one of them was when I was 16, I went to college for the first time. So I went to, uh, instead of, so I did two years of high school, and then after that, I, I went straight into college and did two years um, at the University of Minnesota, which is the state where I grew up. And um, I, my first semester there, the first college class that I took was a chemistry class, and I'd taken an exam to see which chemistry class I should be placed into, and I ended up placing into one that wasn't it was still a beginner's class, but it wasn't like the intro intro class. It was slightly above beginner's chemistry. And I'd placed into it just because I had a good background in other maths and sciences. But the truth was, I had never in my life taken a chemistry class before. I had no background in chemistry. Um, and I wasn't, I was not prepared for what college was going to be like at all. And so I wasn't ready to be in a class with 500 other students that was just lecture-based. Um, I wasn't ready for the fact that it turns out I'm actually terrible at chemistry. Like, of all the subjects out there, all the sciences, all the, all the subjects I've taken, chemistry is one that I really enjoy, but that I'll be the first person to say I'm bad at it. Um, so this was like the perfect storm brewing for, for failure to happen. And lo and behold, it did. I got my semester grades back and I'd gotten, I can't remember if it was a C minus or a D, but basically I'd gotten something that I considered to be a failing grade. Up until that point, I'd been 
and still am proudly a complete nerd and was an A student. And um, I'd gotten this this grade that was just devastating to me. And I remember going home with my my grades and showing them to my mom and just breaking down, sobbing in tears, crying, saying things like, my first semester in college and I've already failed a class like this shows that I'm I'm not smart enough to go to college that I'm not going to be able to be successful in college that I'm not going to be able to become an astronaut because obviously I couldn't pass one chemistry class one beginner's chemistry class so I just must be bad at learning and I must be incapable this is the end for me and she looked at me and she was like nope I have no pity for what's going on here right now because you know just as well as I do that none of the things you're saying are true. This doesn't reflect your ability, your intelligence or your ability to learn. It reflects you not having been prepared for what you were going into. Mm. And she said to me, how can you, what can you do now to, to fix this or to, to move on from this? And it turns out there, there were things that I was able to do. I was able to petition the college to retake the class the next semester. I got an A. The poor grade was removed from my record. But the reason I got an A the next semester was because I'd taken a long, hard look at what I'd done wrong the first semester and learned how to um, do better in college classes. Not so much that I was doing all that. Like It wasn't so much about the chemistry itself. It was about learning the ropes of college and learning how to ask for help when I needed it, learning what it was like to not be really good at everything academically right away. Because in the past, I'd been pretty gifted at academics. Um, but sorry, that was my phone going off. <laughs> no the first time where I'd had to learn study skills and how to go to office hours and how to ask for help. And that set me up to then do really well throughout the rest of college because I'd had a really rough start that then taught me the skills I needed to do really well the rest of the time. Um, the The second story, I know this is a little bit of a long answer now, but this one's a fun one, is that uh, when I was getting my pilot's license, I was um, out doing something, I was preparing for what's called a check ride. So to become a pilot, you have to pass three exams. The first one's a written exam, so a knowledge exam. The second one is an oral exam, so another knowledge exam where you and the uh, designated pilot examiner sit down and talk for a couple hours about all the different things flight related. And then the third one is what's called a check ride. And so that's kind of similar to like a driver's license test. You go up in the airplane with the pilot's examiner and you have to demonstrate to them all of the different skills and maneuvers that are required of a pilot. Um, and so about a month or maybe even just a couple weeks before I was set to do my check ride, I went up with my flight instructor and did what's called a mock check ride, so a little fake practice one. And during it, he asked me to stall the airplane out. And I said, sure, stalling, that's fine. That's a maneuver or a skill that I've practiced or that I know how to do in theory. So stall in an airplane is not quite like a stall when you stall your engine in your car. Stall in an airplane is when you change um, the aerodynamic properties enough that the airplane is no longer uh, experiencing enough lift to keep it in the air. So because of something you've done, whether it's the angle 
that you have the nose of the airplane at or the speed, the amount of thrust that you're putting out um, from the engine, something's changed where there's, there is suddenly more um, gravitational pull than there is lift holding the airplane up. And you can imagine when something like that happens, the plane starts to fall. So stalls oh, are something God. that... <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, okay. You can know where this one's going, right? Oh, my <laughs> so God. So he says, put the airplane into a stall. So I go ahead and I prep the airplane for a stall. I put it up. You start to hear this warning horn sounding because stalls aren't a good thing unless you're practicing them. You hear this warning horn sounding. The airplane starts to stall. And then something even worse happened, which is that something, and I don't know if it was something that I did or something that just happened, like a gust of wind, um, or if I had the plane slightly crooked, but something happened where instead of just stalling, the plane went into what's called a spin, which is an unequal stall. So one side of the airplane was stalling more than the other side was. So if you've ever seen like a corkscrewing plane in the air, that's what was happening. My plane was falling uh, in a spin. Your airplane falls like just drops like a rock, basically. Oh, my God. Um, and how high it, up were you at this point? Oh, I was I was pretty high. I was up at like seven, seven or 8,000 feet. So a healthy height to be my practicing. My heart is beating. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but those spins are something that you don't practice as a private pilot ever. Stalls you do practice, spins you don't because they're so dangerous because you drop really fast and they're very disorienting to the pilot, very difficult to, you know, get your mind straight to get out of. Um, and so that was a very scary thing to experience. Thankfully I was able to correct it, pull out of the spin. And thankfully I also had a pilot uh, instructor with me who was able to help with that as well. But the reason that I talk about this and that I thought it was such a great example of failure is because, that was one of the biggest failures I can imagine. That was a life-threatening failure. That was something that, like, in that instance, thankfully I didn't die, but people do die in spins. Like, private pilots die in that maneuver. Um, and the reason it was so important to me is that after that, I chose to delay my check ride by um, a couple months, and I spent that time reading up and practicing not just the emergency procedures for a stall or a spin, but every possible emergency procedure, contingency plan, everything, thinking about these things in detail of what could go wrong in an airplane on the ground or in the air, and what would I do if that were to go wrong? Like how, as the pilot, the person responsible for the airplane and the people in the airplane, how would I manage any of those issues? And when I did finally take my check ride a couple months later, the pilot examiner at the end shook my hand and told me that I was the safest pilot he had um, that I was the safest pilot he had certified in over 30 years of being oh. a pilot examiner. Wow. And so, yeah, it was something that was really powerful to me to have heard, um, and it taught me that that failure that happened that was basically a life-threatening experience ended up being a really positive, really good thing because it meant that in the future, I'll be the safest pilot out there. <laughs> so in the that. long run, it was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I think that the underlying 
uh, philosophy in both of those is that there was uh, a stimulus and then you learned from both instances and then you recorrected as you go. Whereas I think that the common thing is to make a mistake and then get down about it and then for the PA officer in your head to tell you you'll never be good enough to do it. Whereas you show the, the right way there is to make a mistake and then to use it as feedback to correct. And I loved what you right, talk about. It, sorry, to not let it yeah. define you as a person or, or define your abilities in the future because you can always grow and improve at something. And so if you let a failure tell you that you're like that that's the end of the road for you or that that is who you are, then you've, you've lost. Whereas yes, if, you, that, yeah. if you fail at something and you look at it and you say, right now, I'm not good at this thing or right now, here's a reason why this happened, then then you can use that to, like you said, to improve and to, to use it as the stimulus to be better for the future. So definitely. The only way to avoid failure, right, is to not try anything. And, yep. you know, I know J.K. Rowling said that if you avoid doing things, then if you try to avoid failure, then you fail by default. So I just got just a couple of quick questions what books have influenced your life? Hmm. Well, it's funny that you should have just mentioned J.K. Rowling because like most people who are Gen Z or even millennials, um, I grew up on a healthy diet of Harry Potter. So that was definitely a huge, um, a huge source of inspiration for me as I was growing up. That was, one of those things that uh, I think I always believed in magic to some extent. And so believing that I could be an astronaut and go to space seemed like such a small thing compared to the magic that I knew was out there somewhere. Um, (laughs) Other than that, uh, I was always a really big fan of science fiction and fantasy. So I think that a lot of my, my continued interest in, in space exploration came from, just constantly reading books where space and space exploration wasn't really looked at as an abnormal thing. It was books that featured space as a, you know, that were set in a fictional um, futuristic society where people were going from planet to planet or solar system to solar system or galaxy to galaxy, like at the drop of a hat. Um, I, I read a lot of that kinds of stuff when I was growing up. So it was almost like it was a normalized thing to me. What are the best practices? And I'll just give a quick preface. I think you were the perfect person to ask about this because I think your workload must be insane. Is what are some of the best practices you found to deal with burnout? Oh, I am a good person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely burned out a couple times. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love how casually you say that. <laughs> which at 22 is kind of a scary thing to say. It's happened a couple times. Um, I think that from the perspective I have now of having done it a couple of times, the very best practice is to prepare in advance for that. So to know that that's a possibility and to try and keep your life in balance more beforehand to, to avoid burnout in the first place. That said, you can't always avoid it. And uh, if you burn out before you have a chance to think about it or prepare for it, um, 
my my best practices for that are to really reconnect with people, to reconnect with the people in your life who are the who are the most important to you and spend time fostering and building and enjoying those relationships. So whether that's your family or your friends or a significant other or um, or groups that you're involved in, uh, that's the strongest comeback from burnout that I've found is to spend more time with people who you care about and who care about you strongly. Let's imagine that hypothetically... Um let's say that that plane actually was going down and this time there's no coming back from it this is <laughs> this is the end and in your 22 years you can impart a short but impactful message to hypothetically every person on the planet what would your message be oof planes going down got to got to give a quick message <laughs> A short but impactful um, one. <laughs> yeah, short but impactful. So I think that my message that applies hopefully to everyone around the world is that to dream big and then to act on those dreams because we all have things that are lurking in the back of our minds somewhere deep in in the recesses of our imaginations that, that we're really passionate about. It might take a little bit of work to figure out what it is that that drives you, that fills you with curiosity, that that you're you're passionate and excited about. But doing the work to find that, and then actually acting towards that passion, will be the most impactful and powerful thing that you can do in your life. That's how you make a big change in the world. That's how you make changes in your life. That's how, in my opinion, that's how you can be the happiest is by doing the hard work to find what it is that you truly love to do and then taking actions, whether those actions are, they don't have to be big actions, taking small incremental actions along the way to, to work towards something that you truly love to do. Um, I think that that's the most important thing that each and every one of us as an individual can, can do with our lives is, to find what it is that we love, work towards it, and, and really to be true to ourselves in that way. Where can our audience connect with you, Abby? And do you have any part in messages for our Freedom Pack family? Absolutely. So you, um, if you've been inspired or interested or intrigued by this podcast, I welcome you to join my journey towards becoming an astronaut by following me on social media. Um I'm on pretty much all the social medias, so you can find me as Astronaut Abby on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, um, all of those, YouTube. Uh, I have a website, which is astronautabby.com. And then I would also like to invite you all to come follow and join my nonprofit, The Mars Generation, which is also on all of the different social medias as The Mars Generation. Um, and has a website, themarsgeneration.org. We'd love to have you come be a part of our community. Um, as a parting message, that's that's really the plug that I would love to give is for the Mars Generation. The Mars Generation as a nonprofit does a lot of really great work. We do things like we send students 
living in poverty to space camp on full paid scholarships. We provide a lot of educational materials for teachers and just a lot of different stuff to get young people, especially, but really everyone involved and engaged in in the future. Um, And I think that if you're listening to this, you already have some interest in in, in your future and our future as a whole. And I think that you'd fit right in at the Mars Generation. So definitely come on over, give us a, give us a look at themarsgeneration.org. And for everybody listening, they can just swipe up on this podcast and all the links that Abby just mentioned will be there. Abby, it has been a pleasure. I can't ever remember laughing as much in a podcast. My emotions have been <laughs> spiked throughout this amazing one hour. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Oh, good. Well, I had a lot of fun as well. Thanks for having me on.